0: Where Do You Stop? Chapter 6 begins. When school opened, I entered the building through the front door with all the other students and immediately felt a great loss. The building was now available to just about anyone. Its hallways rang with the clatter and din of a vulgar horde A vulgar horde composed largely of my friends, it's true, but they seemed like invaders nonetheless. The invaders wore looks of bewilderment, just like the look I imagined with a mental sneer that the foot soldiers of Alaric the Visigoth must have worn when they entered Rome." Merging with the rushing confusion, I caught sight of myself reflected in the glass of a door. I was surprised to find that I wore the same look. None of us knew it yet, but we were all going to be wearing that look for some time. There were four reasons, at least four reasons, why. First, At some time during the summer, we must have passed a boundary between childhood and adolescence without even noticing it. I had had some vague realization of this as soon as I entered this new and larger school building. I felt that I was suddenly expected to be, in some way that I did not understand, newer and larger myself more grown-up, more responsible. That was unsettling enough in itself, I'm sure, but time's longer view shows me now that it was compounded by the fact that when I looked for models of the grown-up and responsible behavior that the seventh grade was apparently going to require of me, I looked more closely than ever before at my parents, and I began to come to see, again only vaguely, that they were imperfect models, quite possibly unequal to the puzzling demands of the seventh grade. Second, I discovered to my surprise that the kids of Babington came in a far broader range of shades of beige and brown than I had previously realized. I had known birches and ashes and oaks, but now, in that instant when I came through the front door of the new building, the range was extended to include boys and girls of teak and mahogany and walnut. Here was a bunch of my contemporaries whom I'd never seen before. Where had these browner boys and girls been all this time? I think I realized, I think we all realized at some level below words, what this surprising broadening meant. There was more to Babington than we knew. Immediately, the unsettling question arose How much more? How do we measure the size of our ignorance, after all? We don't know how much we don't know until what we don't know becomes what we didn't know. That is, after we know it. And then we know only how much we didn't know compared to what we know now we still don't know how much we don't know. This was the first lesson of the seventh grade, taught the moment I came through the door. It might as well have been chiseled into the terrazzo that had been so thoroughly cleaned and polished for opening day. Before that moment, I suppose I thought, if I thought about it at all, that I had Babington pretty well figured out. Now, here was new evidence of my ignorance. Sometimes my youth seems to have been devoted entirely to the accumulation of such evidence. Here was the revelation of a new world. I felt disoriented, much as I imagine a 15th century peasant would have felt if he'd been handed a map at the center of which was something other than his little village, the center of his world. I remember well another feeling that came with this new knowledge. I was annoyed. I didn't like the idea that I'd been kept in the dark or the notion that I was now expected to make sense of this larger world on my own. It seemed a lot to ask of a kid my age. I had begun kindergarten before I turned five and had skipped the third grade, so I was only 10 going on 11. Perhaps, I asked myself, it would be possible to take another shot at the sixth grade and confront these puzzles next year, when I had matured? Not likely.